all of Genesis 37 here this morning. Starting with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers they hated him all the more, he said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and your, I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you, bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring back word to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering about in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. And they, looked down to, and they sat down to eat their meal, and they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And the camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover over his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then, he got, they, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the, blood in, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, 
we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his sons many days. And all his sons and daughters came and comforted him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Wow, a lengthy passage. But in this passage, we have, we have Joseph being talked about with a, with a dream. You know, it's interesting. I had, a, I had lunch a few days ago with a pastor who had just recently been to Turkey. And there are not very many Christians in the land of Turkey at all. And when Christians get together, the first question that they ask each other is, what, what about your dreams? What kind of a dream that you have, did you have that led you to Christ? A number of years ago, I heard a man who was, a, who was one of our marketplace missionaries. He was a businessman doing mission work in, in Turkey. And he related this story about dreams. He said there was a man that was living in, in Iraq, and, and, or was a pastor living in Iraq, and he felt that he should take all of the Bibles, all the spare Bibles that they had, and take them to Turkey. Meanwhile, there was another man in Turkey who he woke up, he was a Muslim man in a small village, and he woke up, and he, he woke up, he thought, what is the dream that I've just had? And in the morning, he went down, and as he was going down in the morning, his two sons met him and said, Father, we both had the same dream, and they related the dream to their father. It was the same exact dream. And not only was that dream for those three, but there were people in the village who had also had the very same dream. So the pastor that was in Iraq went with his car full of Bibles and started driving. And it was winter, and he was driving on a smaller road. And as the, as the weather got worse, the car went off into the ditch. And he thought, now what are we going to do? And that's when they heard somebody was knocking at the window of the car. And he rolled down the window, and he looked, and here was a man with a beard, and he looked right in the window, and he said, do you have the books? And he said, what books are you talking about? He said, Somebody, he said, the books. He said, I had a dream. My sons had a dream. Some people in our village had a dream. And they said, there's a man that is going to come to this place on the road. And when he comes, he will have a book. And in that book, it will tell you the way to find the true God. And he said, do you have the books? And I think about the way in which God works in and through dreams. And some of us, we have dreams, but it's not the same as the dreams that we're going to hear about today, especially Joseph's dream. We have dreams, I think, sometimes because we had too many onions at night or we were watching something or whatever. But the dreams that are spoken of here, the dream that Joseph had, the dream that Abraham had, the dream that Isaac had, the dream that Jacob had, every single one of those dreams is a divine revelation in the same vein as prophecy. So when we hear the dream that Joseph has today, Joseph, I don't think, has a clue as to what it is that God has in store for him. He can't. He can't possibly have a clue as to what it is that God is going to do in and through him. And Joseph shares his dream, but this isn't the only dream that's here in this place. Because Jacob also had a dream. Jacob's dream was a life with Rachel. But Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph and his passivity toward his sons and his wives was a recipe for disaster. Jacob had a dream, and that dream included, excuse me, that dream included Rachel. Remember, Jacob was a deceiver. 
And Jacob had deceived his father out of, his, out of the birthright. And Jacob fled for his life. And when he fled for his life, he fled back to the area where his mother was from. And there he met Laban. If Jacob was a deceiver, he was an amateur compared to Laban. Laban was in the pros. I mean, Laban was quite a deceiver. And Jacob, after he's there for a month, when he first gets there, he lays eyes on Rachel, and he is in love. And when, while he's there for that first month, Laban's flocks begin to do well, and he's thinking, okay, how do I keep this guy here? I know. Rachel. The problem is, for Laban, he's got two daughters. He's got two daughters. One is Leah and one is Rachel. Leah's the older. You always married the older off before the younger. And in a society where all they saw was here, it says that Leah's eyes were weak. We don't know what that means, but what we do know what it means is this. The men were not lining up to marry Leah. The men would have lined up to marry Rachel. Rachel, it says, whenever, and whenever you read this in the Old Testament, Whenever you read the Old Testament and it gives you a description about that person, whether they are blind, whether they are old, whether they have too much weight, whether they, um, whether, whatever, when it makes a description like that, oftentimes it's not just a physical description, it is also a spiritual description. And we're going to see that in a minute, in a minute here. And Jacob, when he goes into the marriage, Jacob says to his father-in-law Laban, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel. And Laban's like, I got him. You've heard me say this over the past few weeks. I've got him. I've got him. I'll get rid of Leah and I'll keep him here. And he says, yes. He said, it's better that I give her to you than to somebody else. Jacob's thinking, I'm getting Rachel. And Laban's thinking, I'm getting rid of Leah. That's exactly what's going on. And on the wedding night, when Jacob is fairly inebriated, they bring in Leah. And Jacob pinned all of his hopes on the fact that if I just get Leah, or if I just get Rachel, then my life will finally mean something. And in the morning, he woke up, and what did he say? Leah! And you've heard me say this before, when you pin your hopes on anything else but God in your life, when you pin your hopes on that fact that when you get that degree behind your name or in front of your name, that then I will finally be somebody. When you, when you get in your mind, when you pin your hopes on, when I live here, when I have this job there, when I finish up with that, then I will be somebody. When you pin your hopes on something else besides Christ to add real meaning in your life, in the morning, it is always Leah. It never will suffice. It will never be anything that will fulfill what it is that God wants to do into your life. And Jacob had a dream. And that dream was for Rachel. But Jacob now, that dream turned into a nightmare for him. Because now, you talk about a dysfunctional family that Joseph lived in. He's not just married to one person. Jacob has four wives. Three of them that he doesn't love. Yeah, you heard me say that right. He has four wives, and three of them he does not love. We read when Jacob is finally given Rachel, it said that he loved Rachel. He re- the Hebrew there, he really loved her. But he did not love Leah. And not only does he have four wives, three of whom he doesn't love, but he has ten sons that he doesn't love as well. What a recipe for disaster in that home, huh? What a recipe for disaster. He's got ten sons that he doesn't love, and he has one that he deeply loves, and that's Joseph. 
And not only does he love Joseph, but he flaunts that love for Joseph. He gives Joseph that coat of many colors. And Joseph wears that coat. It would have been a coat that would have had longer sleeves, and it would have reached down to the, down to the ankles. You didn't do a lot of work in that kind of a coat. And Joseph is, is doted on. But his brothers, his brothers are not loved. Do you see where this is going? We talked about this last week. The hurt that happens as a result of this. But not only with that, but J- Jacob, Jacob was a father who not only showed favoritism toward Joseph, but he was a father who was passive. Passive in, in the way that he re- re- raised his children. What do I mean by passive? A passive father is somebody who, oh, let me give you an illustration. I, Pastor Stan and I went to lunch this week, and it wasn't a, wasn't a father, but, and it's becoming more common. I see this more often when we go out. There was a mom and her son eating lunch. Son has earbuds in the ear, has his phone out here, and he's doing something, and all the while, he's, every once in a while, he would munch a, a piece of food. And mom's the same thing. She doesn't have the earbuds in, but she's looking at her phone the whole time. And I'm thinking, put the phone down. Put the phone down. For, for Jacob, he was a passive father. What do I mean by that? He saw three things, and he did nothing about them. The first of them, when his daughter Dinah is raped, he does nothing. Nothing. His two sons, Simeon and Levi, they take matters into their own hands, and they kill off every single male, male person in that city of Shechem. And remember, now Shechem is the town that he's going to send his sons back to. And Joseph is going to go back to that town. When he sees that's the first one. The second one is, the second one is here. Uh, let me get that for you. The second one is when he hears Reuben. Reuben is his oldest son. And when he hears that Reuben, Reuben is the one that should have received the double blessing. But Reuben is not loved. And Reuben, in an attempt to, to, gain, to gain some uh, status in the family, he sleeps. He sleeps with one of, one of Jacob's wives. Yeah, I, I'm not making this up. Sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? And it says that Jacob heard about this. But what does he do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He knows what Reuben did. And Reuben knows that he knows. Why do you think it is that he tries to get Joseph back? Don't kill him. Throw him in the cistern and he comes back. Why do you think he's trying to get Joseph back? Because he's trying to get back in dad's graces. He saw what happened to Dinah. He did nothing. He saw what Reuben did and did nothing. And when Joseph comes with the dream, when he comes with the dream, it said that he kept these things in his heart. He heard what it was that Joseph had said. But again, he did nothing. He was a passive father. And if anything destroys families, I want to talk to guys here, but ladies, it, it can be the same for us. When you see something that needs to be addressed and you don't address it, that's a dangerous situation. Did Jacob know that his sons hated their brother? He had to have known. And yet he does nothing about the situation. In fact, later on, he'll put his son in a very dangerous position by sending him out to his brothers. And I remember a few weeks ago, and I've told you this illustration once before, I was eating at Jolly Bee, and there was a man who had two helpers, very, very nicely dressed, and he was sitting there, and they, the whole time, he's talking on the phone, and the little boy, 
little boy sitting next to him is, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he's trying to get his dad's attention. Dad stands up and goes over here so that he can talk on the phone. And the whole time, Mom is eating chicken, and the kids are, are running around, and the helpers are working with, with the little boy. And then finally, the, the dad came down, and he began to eat some chicken there. And he noticed one of the little boys began to do something. He was doing something, I think, to get attention. And boy, the, the dad just laid into the son. And it's like, ah. Uh, Take the time for your son. Put down the phone. Put down the phone. And sometimes as parents, we see things that are going on. But are we addressing them? Are we, address- are we addressing them? There is no room for passivity in, in our families. It's toxic and, and it can be dangerous as well. When we see things, there are times we have to say things about what it is that we see. Jacob had a dream. But that dream included Joseph only. Joseph had dreams. Now, Joseph is interesting because I I said that last week that the scriptures portray Joseph in a good light most of the time. And as I thought about that, and as I looked at this again this week, Joseph is 17 years old. He's got the run of the house. He's got the robe. He's got dad's love. I wonder if he wasn't a little spoiled. I think he was a lot spoiled, actually. And not only that, he comes with a dream. And, you know, it, it, it says as well, it says that he, he was, not only was he spoiled, but he's self-centered. He, he, he was hated by his brothers. Watch the progression. You may want to do this even in, in your Bible. Start with verse 4. It says that they hated that they hated their brother. Go then to verse five. It says that they hated him all the more. Go to verse eight, and it said they hated him all the more. They couldn't speak to him. Go to verse eleven, and it says that now they're jealous of him. And then go to verse twenty, and in verse twenty they want to kill him. Do you see the progression of, of where this is? And you say, how in the world is it that they couldn't say a good thing to him? Oh, I, I I've done some marital counseling over the years and in one of the, one of the times I had a, a couple they were getting married and I said to the to gal I said tell me about your tell me about your home life and she kind of ah uh, well uh, uh. and I said just just shit. what what kind of a home did you grow up in well she said my mom and dad aren't divorced but they don't live together I said what do you mean well he lives at a at a different place no she said they live in the same same yard same 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 house, but she said, they don't live together. They don't talk to each other. And I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, they eat every meal together. And she said, um, when it comes time, when there's family members that are over, he comes and, and sits down and talks with the family members, but they never talk. And I said, oh boy, this is going to be a good wedding to have to try and pull off. And, and so, and I said, well, what happened? And she said, I don't know what happened. But they stopped talking about 25 years ago to one another. And she said, Mom lives here in the house, but Dad built a garage off the house, and that's where he lives. And she sends him a text when it's time to come to eat. And he eats, and then he goes, but they never say a word together. How does that happen? Something happened along the way, something that they didn't deal with. Remember last week that the progression? Some of you weren't here, some of you were here. What's the progression? I'm hurt, I hate, and I'm going to hurt you, and I don't care what it does to you. I'm hurt, I hate, 
and I'm going to hurt you, and I don't care what it does to you. And something happened, and it says that they couldn't even say a good word to him. I had a friend tell me about a situation between he and one of his siblings. And he said whenever he would go into the house and that sibling was there, he said she would just look at him and just scowl at him the whole time. He said if anything came out of her mouth, it was venomous. This is the home that Jacob is part of. This is the home that Joseph is part of here. And Joseph comes with his dreams and he shares his dreams and he says, uh, he says to his brothers, He said, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves of grain gathered around and bowed down to it. Now, I wanted to show you a picture because for some of you, you have no idea what a sheaf is, a sheaf of grain. This is a sheaf of grain. They they bind it up like that, and then they would have a machine. This is old school, really, really old school. They would have a machine that they would throw that whole bundle into, and then it would take the grain off at the top of it. But what Joseph is saying, he said, that we were, we were get the sheaves gathered around, and your sheaves bowed down to my sheaves. And the brothers say what to him? Do you actually think that we're going to come and bow down to you? What they don't realize is that some 22 years later, that is exactly what would happen. That is exactly. And it says, now we have a new, and then, then there was another dream that he had. He said, I dreamt as well. And it's interesting. There's one point that needs to be made. In the Hebrew, this doesn't come out in the English, but in the Hebrew, here's your geek lesson. In the Hebrew, when he gives his first, when he gives his first recitation of the dream, it's written in such a way that he just told the story. But the second one, when he says, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars came and they, and they bowed down to him, when he said that one, that one he acted out. That's the way it comes out in the Hebrew. And now we have a new emotion that is added to the hatred and the hurt. And this emotion shows up in verse 11. And it says that they were jealous. And when jealousy is not dealt with, hear me well, when jealousy is not dealt with, it becomes very dangerous. It becomes very toxic as well. Jealousy is the wine that says, why them and not me? Why him? Why him and not me? Why did they get this? And when jealousy is not dealt with in an honoring way, it will become toxic in our lives. Which leads me to ask this question. Have you been hurt? Because our response to hurt is huge. Some of us in this room, we've been hurt deeply. By someone, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was an employer, somebody. But what we do with the hurt can be life-changing or very detrimental to our lives and our relationships. For some of us, we've been hurt. When I lived in, in Montana, after people would sell their grain, that was the time that they started buying new trucks. And so the truck that I was used to seeing this guy, and in Montana, everybody waves. They, they all wave to you. They do either the one finger or they, or they you know, they do, but everybody waves. And so you'd, I'd ride along on the, on the bridge and I'd see a truck and, I'd, I'd see somebody and they waved to me and I didn't wave back. And the next day or that, that Sunday, someone would come up to me and say, Hey, what's the problem? I waved at you last week and you didn't wave back at me. Well, what, what, what's going on? And I'd say, I didn't see you. Oh, that's right. I got a new truck. Okay. He, he was hurt. And sometimes the hurt is just little stuff that we can just let roll off our back. Sometimes we have to just let things roll off of our back. Somebody said something to me, oh, three or four weeks ago. And I was like, Ow. 
But it was a cultural thing. And I could say, okay, I'm going I'm to let that just kind of stick here in my craw and let it, let it affect me and affect that relationship. Or I can say, whatever, and just let it roll off our back. For some of us, we've been hurt, and it's, it's a minor issue, and let it go. We, we just got to let it go. We got to forgive that person and just let it go. For others of us, we've been hurt, and it's consuming us. And we're not doing anything with it. It just, it just continues to fester. And what are you going to do with that hurt? For some of us, what needs to be done is we need to go to the person that hurt us and do what Scripture says. And say, um, I don't think you knew, but when you did this, it, it, it hurt me. And I just, I just need you to know, and I've been carrying this around around. And I need to ask you to forgive me because I've carried this around in my heart. And for some of us, we need to do that. For some of you, when I talk about couples not talking to one another, they're like, oh, that, that's us. We put the happy Christian face on on Sunday morning when we come to church. Well, we don't really talk to one another and we haven't talked to one another for quite a while. When does it stop? At what point do we say enough? Because, you see, what's happening in our families when we do that is not just affecting your, you and your spouse's relationship. It is affecting your relationship with your kids. Because when we do that as parents, we're teaching our children how to hate. We're teaching our children how to be jealous and how to hold on to hurt. At what point do we give it up and do we say, forgive me? At what point do we guys say, do we step up the plate and be the man in the house and to say, sweetheart, would you forgive me? I have, been, I have been wrong in what I've been doing and what I've been saying. Well, pastor, you don't understand. This is Chinese culture. We don't, we don't do that. This is biblical culture. And at what point do we stop? Do we stop the pain and stop the hurt and, and admit? Because you see, jealousy, if it's not dealt with, if it's left un, un, undealt, undealt with, it only gets worse. The brothers. The brothers had two dreams. The first one, get rid of Joseph. Oh, if we could ever get rid of him. And Joseph's father, I don't know what he was using for, for a brain when he, when he said this. He said, your brothers are in Shechem. Go off to Shechem and, and, uh, and see how they're doing. And Joseph says, okay, this is Shechem, the same place that all of the people, all the men of that area have been killed. You think there might be a few relatives just kind of hanging around there yet? And it's like, Jacob, what are you thinking? And I wonder if this isn't behind it. Jacob's father, Isaac, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. Now remember, here's one of these instances. When it gives a physical description of somebody... It is not only a spiritual description, or not only a physical description, it is also a spiritual description. And it says this about him. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. There's another time in Scripture where you see that same phrase. And it goes to 1 Samuel where you see it talking about Eli. Very same, very similar. And why do we call it a spiritual issue? Because what does he do next? He says his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. And the next thing he does, he called for Esau, his son. Why? Because he's going to give Esau the blessing. 
He's going to go against what it was that God had said. The older will serve the younger, and he's going to go against that. This is not just a physical condition. This is a spiritual condition as well. And I wonder if Jacob, his son, didn't also suffer from that very same spiritual condition. Was he blind to what was going on in the home? I think he knew what was going on in the home. But how do I stop it? How do I get rid of this? And the jealousy... This is why I say jealousy, if it is left undealt with, it can be disastrous. Because now they see Joseph coming. And when they see Joseph coming, it says, um, uh, let me get it here. Excuse me, let me turn my page. It says, uh, uh, I don't have a right scripture here. Um, When they see Joseph coming, they say, well, here comes the dreamer. They saw him from a distance. What did they see? The robe. That robe that every day he walked around with it, it was almost as if he rubbed it in their noses that he was the heir apparent in the family. And this is why I say jealousy when it's left undealt with, it can be disastrous. Because now we have a new emotion added to this. Remember we have three verses that talk about a progression of hate. Four, five, and eight. Eleven, you add jealousy into that. And now in verse 20, you have what? Let's... Kill him. Let's kill him. Jealousy. Hmm. Interesting. And I hope I am pronouncing all of these names correctly. Um, there is a teddy bear. You guys know what teddy bears are? Uh, I talked yesterday to the other AFF. You know, they give them to little kids and they, they hold them. And they, you know, and, but there are some teddy bears that are worth a lot of money. And there is a museum for them in Wookiee Hole Caves in Somerset, Somerset, England. And it is, a, it is a museum that houses hundreds, hundreds of, of teddy bears. T- teddy bears that are worth a lot of money. Elvis Presley's teddy bear, Mabel, is in that, is in that uh, museum. Um, and they determined a number of years ago that every night they would release a Doberman pincher into that. Into that. Now here, I'm going to show you what a Doberman... You guys ever seen one of these? I don't like those dogs at all. They, they clip the ears when they're little to make them, make them stand up like that. They're guard dogs. They are not nice dogs. I mean, they're not. Becca had them when they were kids to guard their place in Laos. But they had a Doberman Pinscher whose name was Barney. And every night, his owner would, uh, would release Barney, and he would, he would walk around the museum. He would stay in the museum so that if anybody came in, they would come against Barney. Well, one morning, the handler came in, and he looked around, and there was nothing but pure carnage. There were teddy bears here. There were teddy bears there. Sawdust and the insides of the teddy bears, they were all just torn to pieces. And there was Barney with Mabel. Elvis Presley, $75,000 U.S., $549,000 Hong Kong dollar, 59000 British sterling pounds, he had that teddy bear in his mouth, and he was just going back and forth. And pieces of Mabel were going this way, and pieces were going that way. And he was finally able to get that teddy bear out of Mabel's mouth. And he had to call the owner and tell them, um, your $75,000 teddy bear is gone. I know what I would have done with that dog. And when they tried to figure out, why did he go crazy? The owner said, it could be jealousy. 
He said, the day before, he said, I pulled Mabel down and I was looking at Mabel. And he said, I kind of stroked Mabel's head right in front of the dog. And he said, I think it was jealousy. And jealousy can cause us to do a lot of things. And a lot of things that jealousy causes are not good. And Joseph's brothers had a dream. They had a dream that they would, that they would kill that they would kill Joseph. How did it get to this point? I'm hurt. You guys can do better than this. I hate. And I don't care. And I don't care what it does. And when they see Joseph coming, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And let's just throw him in the cistern and then we'll tell dad that, that a wild animal killed him. And so when they see him, what's the first thing that happens? They strip that robe off of him and they throw him in the cistern and then they sit down to eat a meal. How callous. Do you see where the, where the heart goes when hurt is not dealt with? When jealousy is not dealt with? That's why I, I implore you. If there is hurt, if there is division, if there is strife in your home, deal with it. Not tomorrow. Deal with it today. Because time doesn't heal all wounds. And as they're sitting down to that meal, a meal that they know, listen to what, go ahead a few years, 22 years later, in uh, Genesis chapter 40, 42 verse 21. Listen to what the brothers say. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when we, and when he pleaded for us for his life, but we would not listen. They're sitting down and eating a meal while Joseph is crying out, Please, set me free. And they see Ishmaelite traders come along and Judah. There's an interesting reason why Judah will be mentioned. Here's another thing. As you read your Bible, when a name comes up, it is not just random. The next chapter that we're going to be dealing with almost is like a page fell out and they just put it someplace. There's a reason chapter 38 is where it is. But the main guy in chapter 38 is Judah. And Judah says, Oh, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. How benevolent of them. Let's, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And they sell him for what? 20 shekels. Each one got two shekels apiece. Two shekels. It wasn't worth it. It never is. It never is. And as the money is jingling around in their pockets, and as they see Joseph going off in the distance, they're thinking, out of sight, out of mind. Now let's see what becomes of his dreams. Not knowing that some 22 years later, they're going to be prostrate on their face before him. And they're going to, and they're going to, be, they're going to be doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. And Joseph, as he goes off, their first gift is done. But they have one more to give. And that gift is to whom? To their father. And they kill the goat. And they sprinkle the blood onto the, onto the robe. They probably tore it up a bit. And they take it back to Jacob. And they say, examine this. Here's the thing. The language that's written here says, examine this to see if it's whose? If it's your son's. It's not even their brother. Examine it to see if it's your son's robe. And Jacob reacts exactly how they knew he would. 
I'm hurt, I hate, and I'm going to hurt you. How many years of hurt were they carrying up to that point? Those days when they just wanted Jacob to pay some attention to them. And he had no time whatsoever. You who are dads, you who are parents, God has blessed you with children. And if God has blessed you with children, that is a sacred trust. He doesn't call for the church to raise your children. He doesn't call for the schools to raise your children. He calls for you to raise your children in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. And how many days had they just longed for him to say something to them, to be kind to them? And they got nothing. And they get to this point and Jacob is just heartstruck. His son is dead. His life has ended. It's like, hello, you got 10, 11 other children here. But your world is revolved around one person. And that's you. More on Jacob in a few weeks. So the question that needs to be asked is, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Where is God when evil happens in this world? One of three things must be happening. Either God doesn't know, or God's not powerful enough, or God's not good enough. And we know that all three of those things do not, do not stand up. Does God know? He's omniscient. He knows all. Is God powerful enough? To, could he have stopped this? Absolutely. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Well, then he must not be good. He is good. Because all of the goodness of God is tied to his holiness, to his perfection, to his righteousness. All that is tied. So if he is, if he is all-knowing, if he is all-powerful, and if he is good, then what in the world is he doing? And Joseph answers that question. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is the linchpin upon which from 37 to 50 is where it all ties back to. And what does Joseph say there? He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended, for the, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't think that Joseph had a clue as to what God was going to do in and through him. As Joseph is being marched away from his brothers, they're thinking out of sight, out of mind, not knowing that 22 years later they're going to be standing before him. And why? For the saving of many lives. There's a famine that's coming. And not only is Joseph going to save his family, but because Joseph is there, the people of Israel, or people of Egypt, and many other countries will also be saved. But not only because Joseph is there where those people saved, but who else benefited because of this? All of us. Why? Because who is saved as a result of Joseph being in Egypt? Judah. And it's out of the line of Judah that who comes? Christ. Jesus Christ comes out of the line of Judah. You intended it for, to harm me, but God intended it for good. I want to sh- finish up with four scriptures that talk about something. Because it says, um, verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Did, did God know what he was doing? He absolutely did. Give me five more minutes, folks, and we're done. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says, 
I know the plans I have for you. You came into this place this morning, and for some of you came here, I'm just, I'm just visiting with somebody. You came here because God's had his hand on your life. Jesus said, my father's always at his work, even to this very day. God is the one who's pursuing you to have a relationship with you. Because why? Because God has a plan for each and every person in this room. And you say, God may have a plan for you. And he may have a plan for this guy over there. But he, does not have no, he has no plans for my life. Because you don't know what I've done with my life. You don't know the people that I've hurt. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I've said. And God knows it all. And he says, I have a plan for you. And the plan is to prosper you. That doesn't mean always monetarily prosper. That's to bless you and not to harm you. To give you hope and a future. Jacob's plans were whose? They were Jacob's plans. And sometimes we set out and we say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Have we stopped to take time and say, God, what are your plans? Sometimes you're saying, God, what's your plan for my life? And then we hear nothing but crickets. Because what God wants is, first of all, for us to trust in Him and not in the plan. Because the, our, our nature is, okay, once I know the plan, then I'm just going to go off and do the plan. And I don't bring God into the equation at all. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. I have a plan for you. But the plan involves, first and foremost, that you will trust me. The Joseph that we meet here in 37 is not the Joseph we're going to meet in chapter 39. God has done some stuff in his life and in his heart. And the plans of God for us will include some hard roads. Some of you have a little bit more silver in your hair can say yes, amen to that. Because some of the roads that we've walked on, we would never want to go back there again. But the lessons that God's taught us on those roads are lessons that we could never have learned had we not gone down that way. God says, I have a plan for you. The second, Psalm 139, verse 16. He says, Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Even before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God says, I knew all the days ordained for you. They're written in your book. I know what it is that's going to happen. God knew exactly what was going to happen to Joseph, and God knows exactly what's walk, what you're walking through in your life right now. And he said, I have a plan for you. Will you trust me? And will you put your plans into my, into my hands? Next scripture, please. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And again, we go back and we say, but you don't understand, Pastor. I'm here and I thank the Lord that he saved me. I thank the Lord that I'm his child. But you don't know what I've done with my life. You don't know the people that I've hurt. You don't know the things that I've done, the things that I've said. And God would say, yes, I do. And God's the God of, of Joel, for chapter 2, verse 25. He says, I will redeem for you the years the locusts have eaten. God never wastes anything. And God can take those years, those hard years, those years when you were not walking with God, and he can use those even for his glory. And so I finish up with, with three questions. Is there someone today that you need to forgive? Is there a hurt today that you need to let go? It's consuming you. It will destroy you. If you do not let it go, is there someone today that God would be saying, you need to go to that person or you need to choose to forgive and to let it go?
Are the plans for your life yours? Or are they God's? Have you taken time to say, God, what is it that you would like of me? Or saying to God, God, here's my life. Take it and use it for what it is that you desire. And lastly, are the things that God God is showing you things that you need to do something about? Are there things in your life that God is showing you that you need to say something? Maybe you're seeing something in, in one of your children. Maybe you're seeing part of their relationship and something is not right in their relationship. And you're wondering, well, should I rock the boat? Should I say something? Jacob was a father, and we learn the lesson from Jacob that he was a father who saw things, but he said nothing. And you see where it ends up at. Is God showing you fathers, mothers, is he showing you something that he wants you to deal with, that you need to deal with? Whatever he shows you, that's something that he desires for you to deal with, but he will give you the courage and he will give you the strength to do what it is that he's calling you. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, and when we're finished, we will just sing the doxology and we'll be done. Father, thank you. You love us enough to confront us. Because Joseph's brothers, you you left this account in the scriptures because you wanted to show us that the people in the Bible are real people who have real struggles. And for some of us, we struggle with hurt. We struggle with hatred. We struggle with jealousy. Because we've been passed over for that promotion how many times? And that person who got that promotion, they got it because they stabbed me in the back. We are where we're at because at times, God, you put us in places where you know that the things that are going to happen to us are going to be hard. And for some of us in the room, we've been hurt by an employer. The things that are said, and we can't say anything back. Or we get sacked. And God, I pray especially for those helpers today who are here, who deal with, a, with a, an employer who is especially difficult. And I pray, God, not only for your blessing, but I pray, God, for the strength to be able to forgive and to let it roll off their back. And for others of us, we've been hurt. And we've carried this hurt, and this hurt has defined us. It is who we are. And God, today you would be saying to us, let it go. Let it go. God, for some of us in our homes, we have time for everything with the most precious ones in our home. And I wonder how different Genesis would look if Jacob would have loved the ones that are around him instead of simply loving just one. God, I pray that you would help us to not be passive as parents, but that you would give us courage and that you would give us the ability to save some of ourselves for home. We have so much time for the office. We have so much time for projects. And we come home and we have no time for the most precious ones in our lives. Lord, help us to save some for home. And God, I pray for the plans that you have for us. For some of us, we are pursuing what we deem as our dream. But I pray that, Father, that we would be willing to lay down before you our dreams to take up your plans for our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the blessing of your hand upon each one. 
upon the fathers, upon the mothers, upon single people, the young people, the children. I ask God for your hand to powerfully move in and through and over our lives. I thank you for family members who've come from a long ways home to be with parents. And I just pray great, great blessing over that time that they have. I pray and ask God that you'll be honored and glorified in this church and in and through your flock here, that as we leave here, we will leave going into the mission field that you have given to us. And I pray this and ask all this, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you join me in singing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. Go in that strength and go in the peace of Christ this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.